Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast, brought to you by the UK's only vegan magazine, Vegan Food and Living. Hello and Happy New Year and Merry Veganuary! I am super excited to be back to weekly episodes this month and joined by an amazing new co-host, makeup artist for the past 17 years and general advocate for all things vegan and cruelty-free, MJ Williams. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Such a good start to the year to be invited on. Thank you. I know. So you're going to be with us all month, which is incredible. And we also have some um, fantastic guests. Today we've got activist and author of new book, How to Argue with a Meat Eater and Win Every Time, Ed Winters. Next week we have Ella Mills from Deliciously Ella. And the week after that we have the one and only Dr. Michael Greger, author of the How Not To Die, How Not to Diet, How Not to Age books, um, which I'm sure a lot of people will have heard of. But obviously, if you're doing Veganuary, you might be completely new to all this. So um, we will try and keep things back to basics as well throughout the month so that just to kind of help you along with your journey and, and sort of with the challenge. Um, so we thought we'd start off with a quick fire quiz, didn't we, MJ, so that our listeners can get to know oh you a bit. Gosh. Well, yeah, you've, you've uh, I'm sure you're going to put me on the spot here, Holly. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm I'm a bit sweaty as well because I, you know, we sort of had the Christmas break, haven't we? And obviously, we're doing this for the first time together, so we're still, you know, we don't really know each other that well, do we? No. Well, I've got some deodorant on on the side, so I can just <laughs> do a few little licks on the armpits every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm getting to know you at the same time as our listeners. Um, but how this came about was I was at a press event and um, saw, were, so Bosch, Henry Firth and Ian Beasley, isn't it? Thiesby, Thiesby. Um, yeah. uh, were there. Up. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we got chatting and I said I was looking for a new co-host and you are engaged to Henry, aren't you? So Henry yeah. kind of mentioned that you might be up for it. And somehow I talked you into it. Yeah, you're engaged. Yay, beautiful. Yeah, well, it's seven years. No, hold on. Four years engaged. We probably should Four start years. arranging something. You need to start planning yeah. a vegan wedding. That would be so cool. Yeah. Love yeah, that. Definitely. So yeah, he <laughs> mentioned that you might be interested. And somehow I got you to agree to do it. So yay. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. So are you ready for are you ready for your quick fire question round? Okay, let's do this, Holly. Okay. So how did you come to be a vegan makeup artist? So I started being a makeup artist, I think it was about 17 years ago. Um and loved it, worked with loads of celebrities, big campaigns, all of that jazz. Um and then I've turned vegan and I think it was just that you know, when, when you turn vegan, you start looking at every part of your life and realize that there's animals everywhere. And I think I was in that stage, I'm sure we all go through it, like an angry vegan stage where I'm angry at the world and I'm, yeah. I'm like <laughs> obsessed, like looking through everything in my house and, you know, they put fish in, yeah. um, uh, what's it called, in the like sideboards in your house, stuff like that. Well, I was just obsessing over everything. And obviously, being a makeup artist, I had this huge kit. Oh my god! I just started. I mean, they, I'm sure they used to, but yeah, just you know, when you think about everything right. day to day, that there's glue with fish in and things like that. So um, I del delved into yeah. my kit, and I did go down a very deep Google hole, 
Um, and <laughs> just so many things had animals in, as well as being tested on animals. So there was just no coming back from it. I think one thing that that freaked me out, which made me go, "Oh my god, I need to find out what else is not vegan." Is um, you know, with perfume, they have the um, sebum. Is it this word sebum? from a civic cat's anal glands and that's still being used so just things like that really sneaky ingredients and they'll never say that on the bottle so if I'm honest it it was a huge job going through everything and uh making sure that I just cross-checking everything because the great thing about food is you can very quickly see on the back of the packet involved mm. if it's got milk or eggs etc but with animal ingredients in makeup and beauty there just isn't any of that so I'm just googling no. every single ingredient on the back of packages which uh, was a huge job I actually vlogged it on YouTube and I've got a huge list on my blog of every not every there's so many loads of ingredients which are really common and if it's vegan or cruelty sorry vegan or synthetic or natural or it could be both as well which is difficult so yeah it's a huge job but I'm, I'm really glad I did it they don't make our lives easy do they I mean I didn't even know that and I've been vegan six years working on a vegan magazine hosting a vegan podcast so I feel like I feel like having you on the show it's going to be a real learning curve for me as well as lot you know our everything away. So I'm, <laughs> yeah I mean you know and even if you weren't vegan would you want like what was it Something from a cat's anal gland in your yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the ingredient that helps perfume to stick to your skin. But now there's so many really good brands. Like, oh. You know, I'll be feeding them all to you, Holly. You'll have a big shopping list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just can't so wait. Many. And it's a lot easier now. A lot of things say vegan on them, which is, yeah, hundred yeah. times easier than it was, I think, five, five six years ago. So, yeah, woo! definitely. Have you seen that, um, this is hot off the press actually, that the body shop, I think the it, the news is sort of embargoed until today. So when this goes live, it will be, we can talk about it. Um, but yeah, everything now is vegan um, at the body shop, which is amazing. Anyway, right. Where, where did you and Henry meet? How did you meet? Because I think it's so cool when people are kind of like, connected in the industry and in the vegan community isn't it yeah I love I love the vegan community it's such a nice thing to be part of um but no we didn't meet we were well we were both vegan when we met but I was going on a major man diet (laughs) (laughs) I think I've been on all the apps and I was probably like trying to turn men into who I wanted them to be yeah it's never good we, we all do a bit and of that, I think I was we? a bit fed up. Yeah, but hopefully you don't end up with that person because they'll change. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I think um, I was, yeah, I was definitely having a long stint of dating and it just never was working out. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to go on a man diet. I deleted all the apps, deleted lots of numbers. And... The next day, I met Henry in a corridor. No way. Um, on a job. So it was not even slightly vegan connected. He was working with All Plants at the time. Right. I think he was consulting with them or something. And um, I was on a photo shoot 
uh, with the chef actually. He was not vegan. Right. And I met him in the corridor and he chatted me up and the rest oh, that was It's amazing. <laughs> and you also now have a one-year-old who's just turned one in December, haven't you? Yes, yeah, so we've got a little girl called Berry. Love that name. And she is an IVF baby. Oh. Yeah, it had to be food related. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. And a little dog? Yeah. Got a little dog called Chippy. Cute. Yeah, she is a schnoodle. We managed to rehome her, which was so lucky. Okay, so we are inviting ourselves around for dinner, MJ. Whether you like it or not, we're all coming. (laughs) Um, And yeah, what will you cook for us? And who will be cooking it? Because obviously Henry is, you know, known for his cooking. But are you sort of like an amazing cook as well? Or is it you just kind of leave it to him? Holly, I love this question because we love hosting. So please do come round for dinner. Yay! So (laughs) honestly, this this always happens. I plan what we're going to eat and I have every intention of cooking, but I'm probably too busy tidying the house or lighting the incense and making it really cozy and vibey. And then we leave to the last minute and Henry's like, I'll just cook it all. But most of the time, my go-to dish would be the Bosch chili. Oh, nice. Have you tried the Bosch chili before? I think so. I've got all their cookbooks, so I feel like I should have done it. Has it got coffee or chocolate in it or something? Yeah, chocolate. Mm, chocolate? Coffee? No, I don't think coffee. But no. chocolate, like cocoa or chocolate, yeah. And I, that's that's kind of my go-to. My friend's coming around later. I'll definitely cook that for her. I can cook it with my eyes closed now. So that's a really good one. And I, I feel like it's so good for people that are meat eaters. Yeah, because it's got so much body and flavor in it, and the mushrooms kind of mimic the meaty texture. Yeah. That it's just that's always a winner for me. Um, but yeah, Henry probably will end up cooking it. I, do you know what? It's a very similar. <laughs> but I can. Cook yeah. It, so. <laughs> do you know what? I feel like it's a very similar dynamic in my house because I'm sort of the organizer, and like you say, you know, you you've sort of like sorting the house out, and you know, kind of getting everything ready and planning it all, and then. And when it comes to it, it's kind of like sometimes you need someone else to do the the, the dirty work, like chopping and <laughs> stirring and everything whilst you kind of welcome everyone. Yeah, it's that kind yeah. of like te- team effort, isn't it? But I mean, a chili is such a brilliant one for like new vegans, isn't it? Because like you say, it feels really meaty and hearty and you're not just eating a bowl of like kale and going, yeah. oh, I'm never going to be able to stay vegan. <laughs> I think also things like chilies and curries, they just don't need meat in them. If you've got good vegetables or tofu or lentils, yeah, and it it's that like people that are just turning vegan or or thinking about it to get their head around the fact that they don't actually need a, even a substitute. It's yeah. just that you put more veg in, or you know, it, it really doesn't need it. Yeah, and so that's what we would cook. Delicious. I was going to say dessert, but I'm not thought about it. I could do starter though. Yeah. Starter, what would you do for a starter? Oh, this is easy. And it's my go-to naughty dish, especially with a hangover, is nachos with applewood cheese melted on top. Oh, nice. Mm. Nice and simple. So yeah. Really melty. Do you do like um, the guacamole mm. and the jalapenos and all that jazz? Do you know, actually, I, I always forget about the cream. Yeah. Though. So maybe I should start adding Sour in the cream. cream. Yeah. 
do you eat out a lot? Because you used to live in London, didn't you? So I'm guessing you've been to some very cool vegan restaurants. I'm stuck down in in sort of deepest, darkest Dorset. So we, we're a bit slim pickings down here. What are some of the best vegan restaurants you've been to? Okay, so my go-to takeaway, do you know what? I've got a very strong addiction to what the picker. Oh. And that's not like a fancy restaurant. It's like, you know, a takeaway. Oh my God. It's so good. The vegan garlic mayo and just like, oh, it's just. Oh my God. Proper comfort. My mouth's <laughs> watering right now. There is something about a pitta just stuffed full of like mm. pickles and the different textures and sauces and oh. Mm. The chili. I just think, I don't know many things that yeah. beat it. Lush. But there is one in Bright Brighton. It's still a little bit of a way for you, but um, yeah. And another one. Have you been to Omnom before in Angel? No, I haven't. I think I've heard of it, but no, I haven't. It's so good. Is it? <laughs> Holly, it's the best Indian I think you'll ever go to. Oh my God. It's just like really creative. I think it's vegetarian, actually, but there's only a few things on the menu that's, I think maybe it's got ghee in it. Right. Like some dishes, but the rest of it's all vegan. Lush. It's just really creative. It's Indian, but it kind of feels like a bit of a fusion. Right. So, yeah, it's really nice. And then even upstairs, they have, I think they've got like breath work or just kind of different oh. holistic um, group sessions. So it's very... Yeah, it's, it's a very holistic place yeah. as a whole, which is really nice. Sounds amazing. Really good. Slightly more pricey than what the pizza. Yeah, <laughs> two extremes. We had um, Atali mm. cafes in mm. Bristol and it was like really, it wasn't like upmarket or anything, but you'd basically get buy a tiffin um, and then, which is like the metal kind of almost like Indian lunch boxes stacked up, aren't they? And then you would just go in and get it, pay a set price to get it filled up. And this was before I was vegan, but it was all veggie, um, vegan. And just, oh my God, so full of flavor and oh, yum. I will link in the show notes to these places if anyone wants to check them out. Um, okay, next question. Tofu or mock meat? There was a time where I would say 100% Beyond Burger. <laughs> but now... <laughs> yeah. But now I think tofu and tempeh, tofu and tempeh. Yeah, I think I think there's a place for both, isn't there? Maybe puff tofu, you know, when you cover it in corn flour, so it's a bit more naughty than plain tofu. Oh yes, nice. Yeah. Have you have you got an air fryer? No. Do you? Yes. Yeah, I've got one now, and it's a game changer, especially for tofu. Really? Okay. So the idea is that it's healthy frying, right? It's healthy, but you're still frying it. So you're getting the flavors of frying, but without the naughtiness. Yeah. So you get like that crispy texture, but it's also really cost effective because it's so much quicker and you're not heating like a whole massive oven just to do like, you know, a block of tofu or whatever. So yeah, yeah definitely get on the air fryer yeah. wagon. We should have taught. They're brilliant. You should have told me this before Christmas because I didn't know what to ask for. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> well then we've got a thermomix oh i don't have one of them a thermomix um, i think they're really expensive but they just do everything from cutting to like mixing if you're mixing, making bread like you can put the different um you can change the inside bits and cooking slow cooking everything and also what's really good about them is you it, it's got 
recipes inside it. So you could write in like vegan, I don't know, chili. And it was it would be like put cumin and cardamom, whatever, like whatever it is, in the bottom of the pan. And then it slow roasts them. And then it's like, right, now remove them and add in the onions or just add in onions. And it just, it does it step by step for you. It's really good if you've got a family and you're just, like, I'm not even like concentrating on cooking. I really recommend I'm just telling you what, that's amazing. My friend has one. I need to look into that. It's like an old school vegan staple, isn't it? The Thermomix. I feel like old school vegans have sort of been on that bandwagon for years. Okay. Um, Right, next question. Your desert island essentials. Um, I'm guessing some beauty products. Not that you need them. <laughs> Sounds really rude. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you take some makeup. Start with wrinkle cream <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some lip balm for those. Um, yeah. Do you know I was thinking about this? And I was thinking like, instead of a desert island... I was thinking of what I wanted when I went in to give birth. <laughs> Just thinking of like like comfort right, things, yeah. essentials. So number one is Huel. There's always Huel in our house. It's really good, full, full of, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's nutritionally complete. So you just know that you're covered and they're really tasty. So Huel. Yeah. SPF, not in hospital. On a desert island. Yeah. In fact, I, do, I wear that every day anyway. <laughs> it's like the one thing that yeah. is, I think is so overlooked and people often look for anti-wrinkle cream, but if they're not using SPF, they're just constantly doing the damage. So SPF every day. Yeah. Hello, Sunday is my favorite one. Love that. And Lovely. I'd also say Dozy Girl Tea. When, um, when I was doing my IVF, I just had this overall kind of approach to my life of just trying to be as calm as possible. And that was, you know, I swapped, um, what's the zombie show called? What's the zombie? Sh- what's the zombie? Do- oh, Walking Dead. I swapped Walking Dead for Love Island. Ah, <laughs> brilliant. And it's what, like, even like music that was quite energetic to really calm. And Dozy Girl got me through that because I just swapped coffee for, well, chamomile tea and Dozy Girl. Right. It's just such a calming drink. And I think it's got, it's definitely got some kind of chamomile in and then maybe lavender and just, I just want to pour it all over my body. It's just the most calming, (laughs) relaxing drink. And uh, yeah, it's from Bird and Blend. Okay. I I feel like... I feel like we all need a bit of that in January, don't we? After like the mental mm. mayhem that is Christmas and New Year, and yeah, so sort of like reset, recharge. Um, yeah, just kind of. Have you have you made any? Do you, do you do New Year's resolutions? You're not really that sort of person. I, I always start a diary at the beginning of each year, so Aww. just for organisation, and um, I do a lot of brain dumping, you know, when you write, just yeah. like splurge all your thoughts onto a paper. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've, I've started to do that every morning, but I don't know. I think that January can put a lot of pressure on us mm. to suddenly be this new version of ourselves. And I try and take that, that pressure away by just saying like, I've just joined a new gym anyway. 
yeah. so I'm kind of planning nice things for the summer and challenges and stuff but yeah I'm just like some things that I'm like I'm going to be healthier and eat more whole foods etc but the hard and fast um rules for me don't really work because yeah. I feel like I failed if I miss a day or something yeah what about you yeah I'm the same I just I think December is so crazy like you I have December birthdays um my son's mm. birthday is Christmas day <laughs> and as regular listeners will know because I'm always banging on about it and it is a nightmare it is too much all at once and you've got all the shopping to do yeah. and you've got you're trying to make everything perfect for the children and you know all sp- whilst also having a break from work and relaxing and it's just it's just like m- madness so I think January comes and I'm just naturally sort of like excited to eat and all the food and alcohol as well let's face it you know we're just sort of like yeah overindulging aren't we so I think yeah it just naturally happens on the first or maybe second of January that I'm like oh now I can just go back to like say whole foods lots of you know just food that's going to nourish you and make you feel good rather than like put you into a carb coma <laughs> yes yeah I mean that that in itself is is huge yeah. comparison of like loads of drink and loads of rubbish food and then suddenly it's January you're gonna like reset anyway yeah although I am probably gonna do dry jam how about you are you (sighs) I don't want to set myself up for a fail (laughs) (laughs) let's see how the next few days go yeah yeah ask me on Friday um but yeah I'm I I just I want to sort of not drink in the week that would be my goal Mm. because you know it's easy to kind of go I'll just have a glass or two with dinner and you know and then you're sort of drinking every day and I don't want to do that so yeah that's that's my goal yeah and also when you're cooking there's something so nice about having like cooking like a bolognese or something and you've got a red wine just it goes together it does. really well I know exactly that's the only time I struggle when I start cooking because it's almost like you've you've ended mm. one shift of like work and then you're going into like mum shift I don't know if it's the same for you, but you know, and I'm like, right. And I feel like there's got to be some sort of like treat here. And I know that's like, you know, one of those common sort of things, isn't it? Where you shouldn't say that alcohol's a treat and think of it like that. But you do feel like there's got to be, you know, something that makes this a little bit more enjoyable rather than just having to literally like start work again. <laughs> yeah. I, I relate so hard to what you're saying. Yeah. Especially working from home, you don't sort of get that like bit in the middle, do you? It's kind of like straight into it. Okay, last question um, before we get on to the next section, which is um, we're going to talk about um, the crazy things that people say to vegans, aren't we? So last question, and this is a really hard one um, Mm -hmm. and one that came up over Christmas. So we were playing Would You Rather. Have you ever played that game? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that game. Mm -hmm. And... um, Basically, my mum said, would you rather give up being vegan or give up your dog, like rehome your dog, which is so hard. What would Horrible you... I know, it's awful. What would you do? <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Can I ask you first? Yeah, so I, I thought about it and um, I said, well, I'm not going to start eating animals. Like, I just couldn't. So... Mm. I'd have to rehome my dog um, and 
you know, as long as I knew it was a nice home. He's 13, so mm. we've had he's had like a Aww. lovely life with us. <clears throat> Maybe I'd be able to go and visit him. But yeah, I'm like, I was just, you know, I was saying, and my mum is a dog groomer. She has four dogs. She is literally lives for her dogs and she just couldn't get her head around it. And I was like, yeah, but what about all the other animals? Like, just because yeah. I don't know them personally, they're still mm. having to die just so I can have a meal. Like, I just couldn't do it. So, yeah, she was she was quite upset with me, actually. She was like, I just can't believe you do that. I was like, well, it's not going to actually happen. So let's not get stressed. <laughs> Is she vegan, your mum? No, she's vegetarian. Um, very, very compassionate, hates any animal cruelty, can't cope with watching any, you know, cowspiracy would literally send her over the edge. But she's also, you know, in her 60s, loves dairy milk chocolate. Um, and yeah, it's 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 been a, a bone of contention, let's just say. I, I do sort of say, you know, do you want some cow's breast milk in your tea, mum? <laughs> just sort of have a bit of a I joke about that. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if someone asked me for a cup of tea or a coffee and, for example, if I'm ordering it at a cafe, I'll make a point of saying, oh, you want cow's milk? You know, just like, yeah, because it's not normal milk. I hate the whole thing of people thinking that cow's milk is normal milk. It's not normal milk anymore. Yes. It's not anymore. I know. That's oat milk, that's more normal. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny, actually, because I went to a vegan fair with my mum and she said, have you got any normal milk? And I just died. I was like, what do you mean? There's nothing normal about dairy, (laughs) mum. vegan fair yeah yeah it's hilarious but you know I think I think when you're a bit older you sort of get away with it don't you they're like oh it's it's an old person yeah um anyway right well we've got to know you a bit there MJ thank you and um so yeah so next we're going to just quickly talk about um a group that so I connected with you on Facebook didn't I and invited you into this group and it's called and I've talked about it on the podcast before it's called uh non-judgy vegans and friends and I just love it I just love it's such a nice community everyone's kind of like helping each other as the name implies, no one's judging each other. Some people will go on there and say, I really want to be vegan, but I can't give up cheese or whatever. And everyone's like rallies, rallies round in the comments. So it's a brilliant group. Definitely go and join it, especially if you're doing Veganuary. Um, but someone did a post over Christmas and it said, um, uh, share the craziest things that people have said to you over Christmas. And I think theirs was um, vegans can't have water because it contains crustaceans, oh which I just found so funny. So do you do you still get I mean, I don't know what your family, you know, if your family are vegan or veggie or anything, but I've, I've got a mixture, um, mostly vegetarians, but still, yeah, I do get yeah, some. Yeah. So what are some, did you have anything over Christmas that was said to you that you just thought, I, what? <laughs> I had, um, I actually had a few days ago, in the still the Christmas period, in a little Cotswold, beautiful cafe, like really modern and cool. But they're really lacking, like it's the kind of place where you'd go in and you'd expect loads of vegan things. There was not one thing that was vegan. Oh no. Even like the, even the English breakfast, they put milk in the bread oh what um anyway but before I knew that the woman came over and said oh well like what I'm trying to figure out what we've got for you are you allowed to have um avocados and like yes (laughs) (laughs) and they were like okay well that's all we have then like and I said well what surely you've got like toast and they put bread they put milk in the toast so I, I was just I thought like what year are we in 
yeah age, well 2024 now but 2023 then how can someone not know what vegan is i know it just blew my mind even not, avocado come on yeah so <laughs> it just surprised you doesn't it i think when when you're part of the vegan community you're in this little bubble of thinking everyone thinks the same as you but it's it just shocks me sometimes how behind so much the rest, the rest of the world is. Definitely. So, yeah. Um, Especially in smaller places. And what you just said mm. rang true as well. People say, um, can you have this? Can you have that? Yeah. And I just kind of want to say, yeah, I can have whatever I want, you know, mm. but I choose not to because I, you know, I know where it comes from or I know what goes on behind the scenes and everything else. But yeah, yeah some of the ones on the thread were hilarious. So, I mean, I, the, a few I, I did join in, actually. Um, I try not to to join in too much on Facebook because I'm like, what do I... <laughs> I get you get yeah. carried away sometimes, don't you? And get a bit ranty. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think one. So one of mine was my dad, bless him, said, I've made you some vegan rice. Uh, I was like, oh, oh. thanks, dad. <laughs> What what would you normally put in your rice that's my not vegan? Too. <laughs> yeah, my dad does this too. I've got you some vegan potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> you, thank God for that. Yeah. Meat potatoes. <laughs> um, what else was it? Oh, my niece um, was arguing with me um, about, the, telling me that breast milk wasn't vegan, um, which oh, okay. is a classic. And obviously, yeah. which is a funny one because I guess, you know, if someone else was drinking your, obviously, like if you're breastfeeding your own child, there's nothing more natural. But if someone else yeah. is drinking your breast milk, I don't know. But then you've consented as mm. a human, whereas a cow doesn't have the ability to yeah. kind of go, yes, okay, you can take my milk <laughs> twice a day for the rest of, of my course. life. <laughs> surely, surely it's that if milk is meant for you, then that's not like that is vegan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, there's there's mm. so many arguments, isn't there? And that's what um you know in the interview coming up with Ed, it was it's was so good to chat to him. Um, he obviously answers in his new book. It's kind of every argument there is, which is so handy, especially when you're a new vegan, because I think people do challenge you don't they do you remember that people mm. kind of going yeah but what about this yeah. and if you don't have the answers you feel really stupid mm. yeah I, I think you definitely need if you're if you're a new vegan especially doing veganuary get all these facts behind you because you will get challenged on it I mean I'm, I'm going through it now with Ferry being vegan and you know my friends are like oh but are you sure it's safe? I'm like, are you sure that chicken nuggets and chips are safe? <laughs> like, no matter what we're feeding our children, vegan or, or or not, it needs to be nutritionally complete. So that's yeah. what we should be focusing on rather than if there's chicken nuggets. Is there even any chicken in there anymore? Like, Yeah. Oh, there might be some but, bits um, of a chicken, but who knows what bit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good. I need to buy his book. It sounds yeah. amazing. No, but he's so lovely, isn't he? So you know, you know Ed, don't you? Yeah, well, I met him quite a few times. He he's just such a lovely, calm person. I don't know how he can consume so much like horrible footage mm. and like, constantly talking about all this horrible stuff and stay so calm. Like, what a strong man! I know to do that. I know it's just incredible. Yeah, I'm. I'm far too emotional to deal with stuff like that. I couldn't do some of the things he's done, you know, 
slaughterhouses or watching the footage or anything like that I just I'd be too traumatized I think and you know I think it's important to say that that's okay like I think us vegans feel like we have to you know watch all this stuff and kind of go out there and and be on the streets and you know I don't think we should put pressure on ourselves if that's not something that's gonna make you feel mentally okay then (laughs) if you're vegan already and you know about it like I personally feel like if you want to tune into it and watch it great but don't put yourself through it like unless you're with your parents and you're trying to turn them in I'm joking yeah (laughs) Um, we started watching that Oh, what's it called on Netflix? It's the it's like twins. Oh yes, Dr. is it Gregor's in it? Yes, okay. yes, he is. Um, yeah, you told me to watch oh. it, didn't you? Because I'm interviewing him for this um for later yeah. this month. Yes, uh, you are what you eat. The a twin experiment, something like that. Mm. Yeah. So we started watching it the other day. Then my mum has been over last night, and we just started watching it again. <laughs> Sneaky. This show looks looks quite interesting. Should we watch? <laughs> oh bless! Yeah, she, she's I'm sure she's twigged, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's good to watch things again with people that you're trying to just kind of open their eyes a little bit to really what's happening or how the food got there. Yeah, in the first place, definitely it gets people thinking, doesn't it? And I think it's important mm. to like find a way in with people because, like, you know, if someone's really into their health and fitness, showing them like stuff that's going on with the animals might not necessarily it might shock them they might be horrified but actually they might still believe that they need meat for protein or something else so I think it's finding like you know connecting the dots for them so what are they passionate about what do they really care about it might be the environment you know and then Mm. sort of yeah maybe watching or reading something um that kind of resonates with them definitely I, I I always say the exact same thing as you like a lot of people especially if they're a bit older, they might not really care as much about the planet because they're thinking about themselves. And most people are selfish. Yeah. As awful as it sounds. Yeah. But they're thinking about how they're going to impact them. So even though we might be thinking about the planet, a lot of people just don't care. Yeah, I know. (laughs) No, well, it doesn't, I guess sometimes it doesn't feel real, does it? You know, it's not impacting you necessarily like on a daily basis, whereas something like having to give up your favourite you know, roast dinner that you've been eating for 50 years or whatever. It's kind of like, well, mm. well I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. They've not tried a Bosch Wellington, have they? Ah, oh, they That's obviously haven't. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, MJ, it's been amazing. Our first episode together. And I'm so excited for the rest of yeah. the month. Um, we're going to be talking you. about lots of different topics. And I'm yeah very interested to learn more about the um, skincare and sort of health and beauty side of things because I'm just not up on mm. that at all so thank you for joining us and um, stay tuned because I'm chatting to Ed Winters next today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Suma and if you don't already know Suma are a little bit different they've been stocking kitchens with delicious and responsibly sourced vegan ingredients since 1977 They've got over 800 vegan products, all of them ethical, organic, natural or fair trade. Agave syrup, coconut blossom syrup, vegan sausage and beans, vegan suet, black beans, you name it. 
that's pretty cool. But what's incredible is that they're a worker-owned co-op where everyone runs the business. There are no bosses or shareholders. The 200 plus members of SUMA set the direction of the business regardless of their role or gender. Everyone, and I mean everyone, gets paid exactly the same wage. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, just search for SUMA to find your nearest SUMA stockist or shop online. <laughs> Ed Winters, welcome to the show. Um, you've over 50 million views on YouTube, collective online following of over 1 million. You've been on BBC One, BBC Two, ITV This Morning, best-selling author. How, or, how did all this start? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I studied film production at, at university. So when I graduated, um, I'd recently become vegan and I was feeling like I wanted to do something to advocate for veganism. But I wasn't necessarily sure where to start. And there was a couple of YouTubers at the time who I used to watch. And I thought, no, I've got a camera. I know how to edit. You know, I could probably probably do this. And so I remember I sat down and I recorded this first video, which was like, you know, hello, welcome to my YouTube channel. And it was terrible. I was <laughs> anxious and perspiring and I couldn't speak. And I remember just sitting there and afterwards I was like, this is just not going to work. Um, but thankfully I persisted um, and it's just kind of grown. Um, I've been very fortunate. There's a wonder, as, I mean, as you well know, there's a wonderful community out there. Um, and I've been very fortunate to be supported over the past sort of eight years or so now. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of gone from that one initial, very anxious, nervous video to hopefully something a little bit more refined and professional now. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has. I mean, I haven't seen that first video, but I know from- ha Nobody has. <laughs> yeah. I hope it stays Long that deleted. way. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I think you are so loved by the vegan community, having been vegan for five or six years now you know you are such a huge name in the industry and for anyone joining us who's new to the whole vegan thing doing Veganuary um please do check out Ed's channels because you know you you are such an advocate for the movement um and you're not even 30 you. are you is that right is... not no. yet no uh next year oh. I mean as vegans we are we I think when you have your eyes opened or, you know, whatever cliche you want to use, seeing the light or, you know, open that door, you kind of want to shout about what you've learned, don't you? And, and you know, I, I remember going vegan and, and wanting to tell all my family, you know, because like I cared so much because I didn't want them to get cancer and I wanted to right. save animals' lives. And, and you know, I, I suddenly met all this resistance, even from my closest family members Right. And it was such a shock. It was like, yeah, but I'm, you, you love me. You know me. I'm telling you this. And, and they didn't want to listen. So it can be so hard, can't it? And really upsetting. And we've all had those moments, I think, where we've been kind of challenged, you know, whether it's in a, you know, in, in a just a kind of like, well, what about this? Or in a really, I don't know, in a way that's quite um, aggressive, and we don't necessarily have the answers and you kind of kick yourself, don't you? Because you don't, you know, you, you've missed that opportunity. So tell us about your new book because it's called How to Argue with a Meat Eater and Win Every Time. And it's kind of a guide to yes. dealing with these situations, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of, of um, summarizing it. Um, it. It is, in a sense, a guide for vegans to help them. Um, I remember years ago when I'd gone vegan, just started my vegan um, journey and I was at university 
And um, I was talking about being vegan to some friends and talking about the environment and saying, hey, you know, you're environmentalists where, you know, we talk about these issues, you know, have you thought about going vegan? And this, this girl, someone else who was on my, my course came over and she said, yes, but you're vegan and you eat soy products and soy farming is destroying the Amazon. And I was totally stumped. And I remember thinking, I, I know that's not true, but I don't know, I don't know how to explain that it's not true. I don't know why it's not true. And I remember her looking really smug and it really annoying me because I thought this, this, this can't be the answer. So I went home and I, and I looked into it and, and found out, you know, as, as many of us vegans already know that yes, soy farming is devastating for the Amazon, but because we grow it to feed to animals and, and uses animal feed. And I thought if only I'd known that. And I think that a lot of these conversations that we have with people and a lot of the arguments that we end up in, a lot of these um, very unhelpful forms of dialogue, a lot of the time it stems from either us not knowing necessarily how to respond to someone or maybe not being able to do it in a way that's as effective as we would like it to be. You know, obviously people can be antagonistic and they can be hurtful and they can be belittling um, and they can say things that just aren't true. And there are a lot of barriers that can get in the way from and kind of prevent us from having effective conversations, especially about an issue as divisive and as important as veganism. Um, and so that moment all those years ago kind of really was a catalyst to me thinking, I don't want to be in this situation again, you know? So I became very much the sort of person you want to research every argument there was. Um, and then obviously the more I've advocated, the more arguments I've heard, the more responses I've gained. And so the book is really, I suppose, a, a breakdown of all of the arguments against veganism, um, why they're wrong. But then also the, the first section of the book is really about how we can effectively communicate these ideas. So not just being equipped with the knowledge, but then how, how do we disseminate that knowledge in a way that brings people on board rather than pushes people away? I wonder whether we've all had that moment because I, it, it sticks in your head, doesn't it? It's like, you know, you sort of go to bed at night thinking, I should have said this, I should have said that. And right, for me, yeah. it was with my brother who um, is very much a meat eater. Um, he, you know, sort of, He's kind of like advocates kind of, you know, going out and shooting your own rabbits and making a pate out of it. Things like that, you know, a world apart from me. Um, Obviously, I love him. He's my brother. But when he was challenging me on things like nutrition, I didn't have those answers in the early days. Now I do. And it's great. But yeah, it's it's that frustration. (laughs) Why didn't I? Why didn't I say this? Let's should we look at some of the common arguments against veganism and argue, what, what struck me about your book is, you know, argue arguments. It's kind of quite um, it could be seen as a word that's quite aggressive, couldn't it? But it's not right. about that, yes. is it? I mean, you are so far from someone who's aggressive. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, I hope. I hope that's the case. Um, it is interesting. I think that the, the title is uh, provocative and I think that the word argument we often view as being a negative thing, but an argument is just, you know, people presenting, you know, uh, opposing points of view, you know, in debates, you know, you can have a very formal, professional, um, proper debate, and that's just people arguing. And so I think we sometimes view arguments as being this inherently destructive or problematic form of conversation. But actually, if we can learn how to argue better, then arguments don't have to be that bad. It's just about how we can convince people to understand our points of view in a constructive and helpful way. So it, you know, it's kind of funny. There's this reputation that vegans have of being preachy and militant and forceful, and 
whilst I don't think that 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 characterization is wholly fair, I do think that one of the biggest obstacles that we have is understanding how to communicate our beliefs and our feelings in a way that is constructive rather than destructive. Um, So I think it's about reclaiming that idea of an argument being inherently bad and saying, well, actually, there are ways that we can disseminate information, which does involve us putting forward our arguments, but doing so in a way that actually brings people together, or at least leaves them in a more favorable position of veganism. And, And the bit in the brackets at the end of the title is, and how to win every time, which is also quite provocative. And people will go, well, you know, you you can't turn everyone vegan after one conversation. And that's true. But what I say in the book towards the beginning is that actually how we view a win in this scenario is important because if every time we had a conversation with a non-vegan, our objective was to make them go vegan on the spot. Like, you know, you probably had with your brother, I've had with my family members and friends as before as well, of course we'll always feel downtrodden and downbeat because it's really hard to get people to be convinced in that moment. However, if our objective is to leave someone with a more favorable perspective of veganism, that's a very accomplishable goal. And so the title is provocative, but the idea is it's it's more about how do we have effective conversations and bring people towards our side of thinking? And that's kind of the more... Um, less emotive form of the title if you like I really like that should we start with nutrition then because I mean you know again it's such a cliche um and with it being veganuary you know we we do want to kind of touch on the basics because we do have people listening that will be completely new to all of this and will be wondering you know where are they going to get their protein their iron their b12 um and you know even if they have kind of read up on that they might be getting family members saying well you know I'm actually quite concerned because I'm worried about your health um what would you say to anyone who believes that veganism isn't healthy well I think that there's it's important first to recognize that when anyone changes their diet you know you could go vegetarian pescatarian whatever it may be or vegan you have to be conscious of how you're getting your nutrition when you change your diet. I mean, even if you're not changing it, you should you should know how you're getting all the nutrients you need. And so I think often we can view the, the scrutiny around plant-based diets, or at least the health aspects of them, as being a bad thing. But I think actually there's a positive there, which is we can use that scrutiny to empower ourselves to look into this issue and go, okay, well, I hear about protein and I hear about calcium and iron. How am I going to make sure that I don't fall into that trap? You know, or even if it is a trap to begin with. So I, I don't view it as necessarily bad. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I hate how it's twisted and, and weaponized and, and used to, to beat vegans um, you know, up with. But, but I do think it's important for anyone who makes changes to be confident and empowered and to make sure they know how they're looking after themselves. We, sh- we should all be doing that definitely. Um, Now, what I would say is that there's no evidence to suggest from any of the main health bodies around the world, health organizations around the world, that we can't get all the nutrition that we need from a plant-based diet. You know, all the essential nutrients we can find um, either through plants or through fortification and supplementation. Now, some people say, but supplement, you know, if you you have to take a supplement, you you can't be healthy. And there's an irony to that, which is that none of us would be healthy if it wasn't for supplements, because we fortify our soils, we feed supplements to animals, you know, we, we, we have tampered with our food system to such an extent that if, if we were just to get the nutrients that came naturally, quote unquote, from plants or animals, we would end up deficient in, in varying different vitamins and minerals. And so as a, a society, our food system revolves around things like supplementation and fortification. And vegans are actually just kind of cutting out the 
the middleman or the animal in this case, of course, uh, and taking a B12 supplement, for example, themselves. So I, I think it's about being empowered to recognize you can do it and just taking a bit of time to look into how to do it. And once you know how, um, you know, it'll all slide into place and, and you'll feel confident knowing that actually I'm not going to wither away. You know, my bones aren't going to disintegrate. There is very much an achievable and possible way of ensuring my health as well as protecting the environment and animals at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've spoken to so many long-term vegans on the show and they're not walking around with kind of plaster casts on or <laughs> you know they actually yes, exactly. all look amazing and so much younger than they are i think it's um it's nhs guidelines isn't it for everyone in the uk to take a vitamin d supplement for example whether you're right. vegan yeah. or you know meat eater whatever um yeah. what about processed products so Obviously, we've had a huge amount of backlash, haven't we, as vegans about, you know, we, we've been so lucky to have all these new products launching. We can now walk into Tesco's, Sainsbury's, wherever, and buy a selection of cheese, vegan meat. You know, you can even get vegan salmon, prawns. I mean, it's incredible. Um, mm. And, of course, the the media in general, or if you read any comments on, on Facebook or whatever, um, there's a lot of backlash, isn't there, about, you know, veganism yeah. isn't healthy because you're living off processed foods. What would you what would you kind of say to that? I, I think there's a certain irony, isn't there? I remember when the um, I remember when the WHO released the kind of the information regarding processed meat being a carcinogen and, and red meat being a probable, probable carcinogen. And since the moment that press release went out and the information became widely available, everyone was downplaying it. Oh, it's not that bad. It's not that, it's not, it's not really, you'd have to eat lots of it to be bad. But then with um, processed plant foods, it's like if you eat one Beyond Burger, that's it. You know, you are <laughs> rotting from the inside out. You are going to die young. So there's a certain sense of alarmism around it, and I think a lot of it is unsubstantiated. I think that there is this there's this narrative now that processed plant-based alternatives are like the most unhealthy thing that you mm. that, that you can eat. And actually, there was a recent thing just published by the WHO, which was looking at different types of processed foods because there are different forms of processing. There are many different types of processed foods, and and the worst types of processed foods are still processed meat products. And so. Plant-based alternatives, which are processed, I'm thinking, you know, the, the kind of cliche classic brands, um, look, we shouldn't view them as being health foods, mm. right? They're, they're not going to make you the healthiest you can be. They have high salt levels often. Um, sometimes they can have high saturated fat content. You know, they can have less fiber, obviously. But when you compare them to their animal-based counterparts, the research that we have, and admittedly, it's not a huge body of research yet, but the research that we do have shows that these plant-based alternatives are healthier than the foods they're trying to replicate and that's important because they're not trying to replicate uh, a spinach and chickpea stew, right? You know, a, a plant-based burger is trying to replicate a processed meat yeah. burger. You know, fry, vegan fried chicken is trying to replicate non-vegan fried chicken. So we shouldn't view them as being health foods. We should view them as being, um, you know, a treat, you know, something that isn't necessarily healthy, but can be enjoyed um, as part of a, you know, a, a well-rounded and balanced diet, which makes sure we are getting all the nutrients we need more generally. And I think that's a better way of framing it. But it is it is demoralizing now that veganism and the vegan movement has been tied in with these brands because now all of a sudden we hear that plant-based food isn't healthy because, I mean, Piers Morgan loves to talk about the Greg sausage roll. And one of the things that he says about the Greg's vegan sausage roll is, oh, but it has all of these calories in it. And it's like, yeah, because it's a Greg's vegan sausage roll. You know, it's 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 not a kale salad. And it's, and it's such a straw man argument because we've never claimed that a Greg's vegan sausage roll is healthy. So on the one hand, that that's frustrating. But on the other hand, 
We also have this thing now where there's this narrative that veganism is dying off. Oh, the vegan boom's over and it was a fad all along. And the reason why we know this is because a couple of companies have had their stock price go down or a couple of companies in the UK have gone into administration. And it's so frustrating to think that an entire ethical movement and environmental movement within that has been linked to just a handful of plant-based alternative companies as if they define the vegan movement. Yeah. They, they never have it and, and they don't. They're just products you know, that are produced to try and cater for a growing vegan movement. Um, and so I, as, as much as I would never like condemn plant-based alternatives, I, I recognize that they're not meant to be health foods, but I do think that we should be aware of how this narrative has been twisted to try and suggest something which isn't true. You know, the vegan movement isn't dying um, and Beyond Burgers are not the unhealthiest food you can eat and you're not gonna die if you enjoy one every now and then. But yeah, just make sure that from a health perspective, you do just enjoy one every now yeah. and then. Yeah, there's a video going around, or, or uh, I don't know, on on social media, isn't there, about how vegan processed food is made, and it's it looks like this sort of grey. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, right, it's yeah. sort of beige mush, and you think, well, yeah. well, hang on, let's just, you know, could we make a video of how the animal alternative is made? Because I think that would really <laughs> not be yeah. preferable. It's so ridiculous, isn't it? And I think the idea that. You know, we, we mass produce all different types of foods. And of course we should try and eat more whole foods, whole foods plant-based. So foods that are that are as close to the, the whole plant that's that's growing. So we have as much fiber and nutrition involved in there. But the idea that we should condemn like a food because at a certain part of the process, it doesn't look that appetizing. It's like, well, my goodness, you could say that about anything that people enjoy, you know, biscuits and all yeah. sorts of things. When you mass produce them in factories, they go through processes that look a little bit mechanical, look a bit unnatural and aren't particularly pleasant. But that doesn't mean that these products are unethical or even necessarily unhealthy objectively. Obviously, we should try and eat whole foods, plant-based, making sure we're getting all the nutrition we need, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, complex carbohydrates. Those types of foods should be the staple in our diets. But don't go on TikTok and be influenced by this misinformation and disinformation, which just honestly... I, I'm, I'm grateful I don't pull my hair out because I do quite like my hair, but <laughs> honestly, it's so easy to understand why you would. It drives me mad. I don't know how you cope. I really don't. You know, watching some of the videos that you make and I'd just be like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. What What yeah. are your, um, just quickly, what are your thoughts on the term plant-based? Because obviously, you know, we have a lot of products now labelled as plant-based and actually it can be get a bit confusing, can't it? Because I, I think a friend sort of said to me the other day, oh, I bought something that said plant-based, but it had honey in it. What, you know, do you think it's kind of muddying the waters of veganism? That's a very good question. I think if it's not a regulated term, you know, a commercially regulated term, then, then I think that's very problematic. I think that... Um, there should be some some legal requirements about how the label can be used, and if obviously there has if there's animal products in there, I think that that, that, that should be a clearly um, clearly not be allowed to happen. I think generally the term I think it's good. I, I think it's important that we have a term that dis, that differentiates diet from an ethical position. Um, one thing that I think is important is to recognise that the word vegan. You know, whilst diet is the biggest part of the change we make, the word vegan is referring to an ethical position, a philosophical position, a movement that's about trying to protect non-human animals. That's what the word is symbolizing. 
obviously diet is a huge part of it because diet's the biggest source of animal exploitation and harm that, that we partake in. And so diet becomes at the forefront of that movement. But there is a distinction between the diet and the movement itself. And I, I do like that there is that, that, that term that kind of suggests that. Um, but I do worry that there's a certain co-opting, as you say, a greenwashing going on, a humane washing where, where brands will use the term because it sounds good. And, you know, it sounds like a, it's a fresh and healthy and sustainable term, right? And brands love to use these buzzwords. And plant-based is a kind of a buzz term. So it... I, I've not come across it personally where it's used to pr- promote animal products, but it, it doesn't surprise me that that has happened and that definitely shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, I agree. I think that we need some legislation there, don't we? Well, Oh, yeah. No, but the legislation's going the other way, yeah. isn't it? It's like, you know, we can't even say vegan sausages, but now companies can use the word plant-based to promote animal products. Yeah. It's like, that, make it make sense, please. <laughs> <It's the same. laughs> well, let's get on to the environment then. Obviously, this is a huge reason for people you know, even if they're not going vegan, they might be cutting down on meat and animal products. And um, one of the book, one of the chapters in your book addresses the idea that grazing animals is good for the environment. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? There's this, um, there's this, this uh, kind of fossil fuel lobby position. Um, I heard Joe Rogan spout off, off the other day as well. I just thought, my goodness, <laughs> there's this idea that the world, they call it global greening. And the idea is the world has never been greener when you look at it from above. And um, fossil fuel lobbies, lobbyists and, and kind of um, climate change deniers say, well, hang on a minute, this is evidence that actually the world isn't as bad as we think it is because it's, it's actually so green when you look top down. Obviously, what this overlooks is the fact that, you know, we, deforestation rates are, are rampant. Um, we are emitting far more CO2 into our atmosphere that's been sequestered. And actually, this is just kind of a, a red herring, right? But it's, it's, a, it's an argument that's used to try and convince people something that's not true. You go, actually, the opposite of what we've been told by these scientific communities is, is what's true. The world has never been greener. So therefore, the CO2 emissions are actually good because we've got all this greenery around. And, it, and what it does is, is it pivots the, the climate consensus and it twists it to confuse people into thinking something that is absolutely untrue. And what the animal farming industries have done is something similar. They've now pivoted the argument to say that, oh, grazing animals aren't bad for the environment. In fact, they're essential for the environment. All of a sudden now we're hearing this narrative that red meat is the healthiest food you can eat and the most sustainable food. People have gone carnivore crazy, right? Oh, red meat, red meat, red meat will save us all. And actually all of the evidence shows that red meat is not only the unhealthiest food or among the unhealthiest foods we can consume, but is the most unsustainable food we can consume. So how have we reached a point where the scientific consensus is at odds with the message from the animal farming industry and what we have to recognize is that the meat dairy and egg industries are, are the same as the fossil fuel industries they're the same as the tobacco industries they're the same as these industries because they have huge amounts of power huge amounts of political influence and they have lobby groups that work in their best interests to confuse consumers and the grazing animals myth is now the biggest argument they're using they're telling us that the methane from animals we shouldn't be worried about it's not contributing to climate change and actually by grazing animals we can increase the amount of carbon in our soils which again is a red herring all of the scientific evidence shows that red meat animals or ruminant animals so sheep cows those animals are the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions related to food and are the biggest drivers of deforestation globally no other industry causes more deforestation around the world historically or contemporarily speaking than the ruminant grazing systems of farming um 
And it fills me with such despair to know that all of this good science being conducted by all these climate scientists is being challenged and even at times ignored because of meat industry funded PR, consultants working for the meat industry who are disseminating misinformation to media outlets like the Daily Mail or the Telegraph or GB News or whoever it is who gobble it down faster than they gobble down their steaks because it appeals to them and reinforces the narrative that they want to have reinforced to them. And I think when we start to view these industries as having the same motivations as the tobacco industry, as the fossil fuel industries, and recognizing that they're all operating from the same playbook, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is it that the scientific community is saying? And if the United Nations and the, you know, the University of Oxford and these climate organizations all around the world are not also promoting the same thing, well, why, why not? Why isn't the UN not saying, rather than trying to tell us to eat plant-based, which is what they keep desperately trying to tell us to do before the meat industry gets involved and stops them from doing it, why isn't it that they release these reports saying, hey, everyone, actually eat grazing animals? But they're not, because the science doesn't show that. Um, the book goes into a lot of detail about where this argument comes from, and it, it kind of discusses the minutia of, of the argument, the details, you know, what 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 is it that these proponents are actually saying and what does the scientific evidence show in terms of the data that's out there but the important thing to recognize is that as the science says red meat's the worst food we can eat for the planet nothing comes close to it and um, from an environmental perspective it's the it's the most important thing to leave off our plate um, by far you're such a good speaker ed it's just like mind-blowing <laughs> we all oh, we all need you. an ed in our pocket just to kind of bring you out and go hang on <laughs> I've got the answers here. Oh, that's kind. Um, <laughs> a little pocket. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Because you know we're all so busy, and we live in this such sort of fast-paced world. And you know something flags up on on Facebook or on your news app saying veganism is bad because of this, this, this. And half the time, I don't think people even read the articles. You know, they just take it as given, and it's it's scary that we're yeah. not kind of taking the time to investigate and look into these things we're just kind of going oh yeah oh right okay it's bad okay great i don't have to go vegan end of story <laughs> wow and that isn't that and that that's the thing isn't it it's so demoralizing that we we as advocates pour our heart and our soul into looking at what the research says and these scientists god they spend years pouring over this data and then all it takes is a headline. And if, if if and if you want to reinforce your position of not eat of eating animal products, you see a headline, you go, oh, there we yeah. go, right? Or you look at a TikTok and it's someone saying that veganism is uh, going to kill children <laughs> and it's really bad for the environment <laughs> and avocado is the worst thing you can yeah. eat. Oh, and by the way, being vegan is um, actually anti-indigenous and all of these things. And then you go, oh gosh, I'm never going to be vegan. And and the problem is we're not we're not necessarily taught how to be good critical thinkers. It, it's a it's a glaring omission in terms of education. How how do we perceive information? How do we scrutinize information? How do we look into it? I think that there's a huge oversight in our education system where we're not necessarily taught how to think for ourselves, how to delve into information, you know? And I, and I think that becomes really dangerous when we do see headlines. There was one just a few days ago, a couple of news organizations reported on it and it was like, 
Um, 90% of, of mothers have nutrient deficiencies. And it was a piece of research looking at mothers, looking at nutrient deficiencies in mothers, and it found out that actually, overwhelmingly, the majority of mothers have nutrient deficiencies. Um, so the idea would be, hey, if you are a, a mother of any dietary preference, you should make sure you're getting all the nutrition you need. That's how some media organizations ran with it. But then some others ran with vegan mothers at risk of nutrient deficiency. Right. The study didn't wasn't looking at that. The study wasn't analyzing vegans and non-vegans and vegetarians. It, it didn't do that. They took this and they used it to create the narrative that this was about vegan mums having nutrient deficiencies. Now, if you're scrolling Facebook or wherever it is you get your information from, and you see that headline because someone shared it going, oh, look, vegan mothers have nutrient deficiencies. You go, oh, well, I knew that it was bad for mothers and bad for children. But they haven't gone in and gone, I'll read it. And then importantly, I'm going to look at the study and I'm going to read the study. Because scientific literacy is, is actually, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I, you look at a scientific paper and sometimes you go, what, what is this alien language I'm reading? What are these terms and these acronyms? It's hard. And we're not taught necessarily how to, to read scientific literature. And so people don't. And then they see headlines and take what they think or what they believe the world to be like just through these clickbait headlines. Yeah. And then when you have media organizations with agendas and narratives they want to push, well, they can get weaponized and used in really bad ways. And then all of a sudden we have headlines which just aren't true representing information that wasn't actually what the scientific studies were were suggesting in the first yeah, place so wrong yeah. i was looking at all the um i've got your book here and i was just looking at all the um the you know the the references and oh my god i mean it's pages and pages i mean how you know <laughs> i've got so many questions i need to ask you ed but you know i mean that's a lot of research that's gone in to something like this and that's what i love about your book and and books like you know Michael Greger's How Not to Die it's all kind of there you've done the research so we don't have to because we do not have the general population do not have the time do they so a book like this is is amazing because you you've kind of done it for us and we can kind of go okay right there you go there's (laughs) there's the answer to that well, I, 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 and I, I'm grateful to hear that. Um, I always, I would always advise people to, if they have their own time, to look into. Time's the biggest issue. This is my job, right? I, yeah. This, this is how I, this is, this is how I spend my my work days is researching, writing, reading, you know, producing content, which requires me to do these things. So if you're working a nine to five job five days a week, I appreciate that on a Saturday and Sunday, you don't kick back and go, right then, you know, let's dive into these citations, right? You know, I, I appreciate that's not what you do. But I think if there's something that's particularly interesting to you, or maybe you have an argument with a, there's an argument your dad always uses or your best friend always uses. I think that if you can look at those citations, maybe that can always be helpful because it's, it's I think it is important to kind of have a look at things ourselves. Um, but I say that from a place of extreme privilege where literally this is this is what I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm given the opportunity and space to do because of the work that I do. Um, but I, the, I, I include the references as, as, as a form of accountability as well, you know, and I, I know that if there's something that I've messed up on, there'll be someone out there who will, who will find out and say something and tell me. And I, that's good. That's what I invite that. I think it's good to have transparency. There's nothing worse than when you read a book and there's a sweeping claim and you go, what? where's that coming from? Yeah. You know, and you, you, maybe you'll Google it, but where, where have they got this from? Um, the publishing team at Penguin told me there was this book. I've not, I've not read it, but apparently in the book, 
the author makes this sweeping claim that veganism is less healthy than the McDonald's, right? <laughs> and you think, well, there's got to be. I mean, my goodness, a claim like that must have some really good science I behind mean, it. I like my goodness, plants, that's a claim. But, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, actually, exactly, exactly. My daughter loves McPlants. She's vegan, so. <laughs> oh, good. Well, they are quite yeah. nice, but um. There, there is that. There's just this. It's outrageous to try and say that eating fruits, vegetables, and whole grains is less healthy than eating um, McDonald's. I mean, it's madness, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah madness. So I put them there as a form of accountability, but I also hope people do take time to look at them if, if they indeed have that time and, and are willing, willing enough yeah. to. So we've covered nutrition. We've covered the environment. What about animal welfare, which is at the heart of what? you know the movement is about fundamentally isn't it and I know you are such a passionate advocate for animals and you know myself included since going vegan I mean I I was always an animal lover as many of us say we are but I still ate them so what about when people say to you and you know again we're in Veganuary new vegans might encounter what but I only eat higher welfare meat eggs or dairy especially eggs I think you know people like what is wrong with eggs well, I mean, I think the, the first thing to establish is when someone says that to me, um, you know, I only eat this type of food or, you know, I, I agree that factory farming's wrong, but what about this? The first thing to establish is that they've made a very important acknowledgement, which is that animal suffering matters, animals' lives matter, and as such, we should make choices to try and reduce the negative impacts that we have on animals. The only reason someone would want to choose those options is because they think they're causing less harm, less suffering. And I think as soon as you recognize that, you have to say, well, what's the logical conclusion to this? If the choice I, I should make is one that reduces animal suffering, harm, exploitation, and death, well, what, what, where should that lead me? And out of all the options we have, factory farming, sort of organic, high welfare, grass-fed based systems, and, and plant-based system, out of those options, which of those options most, as far as is possible, meets our expectation or our personal demand to reduce animal suffering, harm and exploitation as much as possible. Well, the plant-based food system. And I think there's an interesting thing, whereas as soon as you acknowledge that we should make choices with that aim, that's the argument for veganism, right? That's that's why we're vegan. Um, but what I would say is, even in high welfare systems, you know, that there are huge amounts of exploitation that occur. Factory farming is is really about the intense confinement of animals and the high stocking numbers. You know, the amount of animals we have per square meter of space or whatever whatever the metric might be. But out, but outside of that, even in these more high welfare systems, most of the other practices still occur. So things like mutilations, forced impregnations, separations of babies from their mothers, and of course slaughterhouses. You know, that high welfare pigs end up in the same gas chambers as factory farmed pigs. You know, high welfare dairy cows end up with the same blades pulled across their throat as zero grazed dairy cows. There's no distinction in terms of the final point, and most, many at least, of the practices in between their birth to the death are the same. It's just they normally have a bit more space or can eat a diet that's a bit more natural for them, let's say. So in the case of eggs, eggs is a little bit of a weird one because we think, well, free range must mean something. And it and it does, they're not in cages, but they're still trapped in with high stocking densities, you know, 16,000 birds in a barn still. They have outside space, but they're still trapped inside these barns during a lot of their lives. They're still mutilated. And importantly, male chicks uh, macerate or gas to death in the egg industry, regardless of whether those hatcheries are producing hens for battery cages, for free range farms, whatever it might be. Every male born into the egg industry is killed as soon as they're born by being gassed or macerated most commonly 
because they don't produce eggs, because they're male, and because they're a different breed of chicken to the ones who we raise for their flesh. They don't grow fast enough or fat enough to be profitable, and so they're, they're killed, they're culled. And even free-range hens, or even organic outdoor hens who, who don't live in these huge barns, let's say, they're normally killed after about 72 weeks because that's when their egg production declines because they've been selectively bred to produce so many eggs. So again, the I suppose the, the difference between something like caged and free range is the amount of space the hens have. But apart from that, almost everything else about the process is the same. And if we think that it's wrong to cage an animal, which we should, why is it not wrong to, to kill them? Why is it not wrong to cut their throat? Why is it not wrong to force them into a gas chamber if keeping more of them in a smaller space is what we view to be wrong. Because, again, we need to view this issue, this moral issue, from the perspective of the victim. When we talk about ethical issues, harm towards others, we view that harm from the perspective of the individual being harmed, not the oppressor harming them. And so as soon as we put ourselves in the position of the animals, the hoof of the animal, so to speak, and we think, if I was the animal what would I deem ethical treatment of myself? You might go, well, if I was an animal, I would obviously prefer not to be kept in a cage, but you would obviously also prefer not to be mutilated, yeah. not to be forcibly impregnated, not to be killed in a slaughterhouse. So an ethical issue viewed from the perspective of the victim clearly leads us to a plant-based food system because that's the way to best encapsulate the needs and desires of the victim in this scenario. I kind of always sort of battled with the whole egg thing. I didn't miss eggs at all. I went vegan and I always loved poached eggs on toast. And as soon as I went vegan, I was very happy eating my scrambled tofu. Didn't miss it at all. But people obviously always said, don't you miss eggs? What's wrong with eggs? And I actually went with my mum. So my mum's lucky enough to have a little piece of land and she had some chickens. And we went to a local place and there was still a huge shed and she opened the door mm. and she didn't, the lady, you know, the farmer didn't want us to see. And it's it's still, you know, they're doing this to, as a commercial, you know, business. They're not just doing it for right. fun. So it has to be commercially viable. So there's still an awful lot of chickens crammed into this shed. And actually, like you say, when they reach a certain age, they're still laying, they're still laying a lot of eggs, but they're not laying enough to make enough money so off they go to the slaughterhouse. So we rescued as many as we could. We were literally loading them up into boxes and, and it was heartbreaking. And that was a massive eye opener. And and yeah. also just to quickly mention that um, we've had, I'm sure you know, Dr. Alice Bruff, um, who was an ex-pig vet. Again, she's spoken time and time again about, you know, free range organic pig farms and how, you know, it, this should be the you know, the pinnacle of welfare and actually the amount of antibiotics that are being pumped into these animals and everything else, it's not its not the way that it's portrayed, is it? No, certainly not. And I suppose that that's, you've kind of alluded to something really important, which is the paradox of animal welfare. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of animal welfare and farming is that the well-being of animals is the priority, but, but it, it can't be because these are commercial ventures. The priority is money. It, it's, it's profit. It's livelihoods. It's, you know, fulfilling the expecta- expectation of shareholders and, you know, company directors. So those are all things that are viewed as a higher priority than the welfare of animals. Animal welfare will always be viewed as a secondary, if that, to the financial interests of those who profit from these industries. But that's not what we're told. Mm. We're told that farmers love their animals, treat them the best they possibly can, and do everything they can for the animals. And every decision they make is done for the animals. I mean, and, and even worse than that, sometimes these mutilations that are carried out on animals, we are 
the farmers try to gaslight us into thinking they do these things to help animals. We, about 60% of mother pigs in the UK give birth in what we call farrowing crates. These are crates that are so small the mother pigs can't turn around in them. They're kept in the UK, they, they can be kept in these crates for five weeks at a time. So they can't turn around for five weeks at a time. Now, most people go, well, that's terrible. But if you ask the farmers, they say, no, no, no. The reason we do that is not so that we can have more mother pigs in a smaller space, have more babies and more profits. No, 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 that's, that's not the reason we do it. The reason we do it is because it actually protects them. It keeps them safe and it stops the mother pigs from crushing their piglets. That's what we're told. Imagine that. We incarcerate animals in cages so small they can't even turn around in. And then, and then we're told the reason that happens is to protect the animals who have been exploited. It, it pains me so much that, that not only do we do these things, but then we lie or we are lied to about the motivation behind them. I would have more respect for farmers who do these things if they turn around and said, well, yeah, the reason we do that is, is because we want pig products to be cheaper. Right, and we want to make as much money from them as possible. At least then I'd say, well, I know you've been honest. It's it, it's terribly unethical, but at least you've been honest with me. But the fact that they even lie to try and gaslight us into thinking that these things are good. Mm. Again, what you said is so important, which is that it, these are commercial ventures. If, if these animals stop making the money, th- there's only one place they get taken, and and it's not to a sanctuary where they get to live out their lives with cuddles. Mm. You know, it's and it, it it I find it. I think it speaks to this kind of. British exceptionalism that we have, you know, this this view that we have of these great islands of ours, that in Britain we are not like anywhere else, and the way that we treat animals in the UK is, is you know, the rest of the world looks at us in awe and envy, you know, not only are we amazing in so many ways, but we, my God, we treat animals better than anyone because we're civilised here. It really annoys me that we have this um, arrogant perception, and I remember I did a debate about a year and a half ago now with um, a person called Martin Kennedy, who's the uh, head of the Scottish National Farmers Union. So the most senior person in the most, um, in the largest farming organization in Scotland. And um, we had this debate. Uh, He was trying to tell me, you know, animals, he said that we treat animals better than we treat humans, which firstly, that that sent a little (laughs) warning light off in my head. And so I thought, well, hang on, let's put this to the test. So I said, well, actually, you know, we kill chickens, we selectively breed them, we put pigs in gas chambers. I listed about three different things that we do to animals. And, and the host of the show said, Martin, what Ed's describing is, is horrific. How do you respond? And he said, it is horrific, but we don't do those things in this country. I couldn't believe it. You know, these are just regulated practices that you can look in government legislation. Yeah. Red Tractor allows them. RSPCA Assured allows them. And he said on, on, on television, he says, we don't do those things here. So I, I, obviously the next thing I said was, well, you've, you've lied. And then he backtracked and said, no, 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 no. I was just contesting that it was horrific, which I thought was interesting <laughs> as well. But when, when, when people tune into that, you know, you are an average person living in Scotland. You turn on Scottish national television. Oh, this is... It's a debate going on. What does the head of the Scottish National Farmers Union say? He tells the audience that these things don't happen. How He knows that they do because he's overseeing an organisation that is involved in the production of the legislation that he's denying exists. That's wow, crazy. crazy, isn't and it? And, of course, you're the minority vegan who, you know, a lot of these people right. won't have heard of, and he's just this, you know, like, <laughs> out there yeah. kind of... Oh, oh God, it, I mean... I'm trying, you know, I've been trying not to, I've sort of been holding back the tears just just talking about, you know, the animal side of things because I do really struggle with it. And I, I find it amazing, people like you, people from, you know, people like Matthew Glover and Juliet Galatly, um, 
uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, Matthew Glover founded Veganuary and um, he works, he's uh, sort of an angel investor, isn't he? So he works with VFC. Juliette Glatley runs Viva, which is a vegan charity and they go and do these undercover investigations and I just think, oh my God, I, I would not be able to sleep at night. I, I, I'm too I'm too much of a wimp so I'm trying <laughs> I try and do what I can do but yeah I, I'd really right. struggle you shouldn't be hard on yourself it's not that you're too much of a wimp you know <laughs> we're not wimps if if extreme violence upsets yeah. us you know that, that that's called being decent compassionate empathetic human beings that's admirable and I think when we talk about activism or advocacy it's all about doing what we can based on who we are and the lives we have and not and not, and not expecting that we should do things that are are going to damage us or harm us it's about what can i do and you do you do my goodness you do so much so i i, I know that you didn't mean it seriously but you're not a wimp for not wanting <laughs> to do you. these things that that's totally understandable thank you bless you well i'm you know i'm just we're lucky to have this platform to speak to people on um ed i've got so many questions i mean i literally could go on for hours <laughs> and i know yeah. i know our regular listeners are so excited to have you on the show and to hear what you've got to say um, I, I won't keep you for any longer because otherwise <laughs> this will be like the longest Simply Vegan podcast ever. Um, but <laughs> when can we see you next? So obviously everyone can buy your book and learn more about all these, you know, these, all this research you've been doing. You're at Vegan Camp Out next year, aren't you? So I am I'm definitely yes. going to be there and I'm going to come and give you a big hug, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll accept it. Uh, what else can we expect from you coming up in 2024? Yeah, well, I mean, January should be a, a, a busy month for me. Um, I'm doing five Waterstones events. So five uh, kind of uh, sort of kind of Q&A talks and then uh, book signings as well. So if anyone wants to get their, the, the copy of the new book signed, then I've got um, events at Brighton, Bristol, Bath, um, Manchester and London. Um, so you can find those out by by looking on my website or, or by going to, to Waterstones to, to get tickets for those, which I'm really excited for. And then I'm trying to think what else. <laughs> Vegan Camp Out will be my, 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 my next big talk so far. Um, but I'm still populating my schedule, so I can't give you any more than that off the top of my head. But I'll be, I'll You'll be, be about, no doubt. I think you deserve a little I'll rest. I mean, maybe have a rest in February. <laughs> no, I can't. No, I've already. I'm my February. Yeah, no, not in February. Maybe, maybe a little bit later in the year. Oh well, thank you so much for all that you do from the whole of the vegan community, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I know everyone's oh, really welcome. excited to have you um, on the show. So thanks, Ed. Oh, well, thank you, Holly, for inviting me on. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for listening. I know it was a bumper episode today. And whether you're a long-time listener or brand new to the show and to veganism, we really want to hear from you. So you can email us simplyveganatanthem.co.uk or a bit less formal. You can um, follow us on socials at Vegan Food and Living, at Simply Vegan Podcast and at MJ, that's um, E-M hyphen J, edit and uh, comment on our posts and share your thoughts post your questions to us we'd love to hear from you we'll be back next week i'll be chatting to deliciously ella aka ella mills and don't forget you can try an issue of vegan food and living magazine for just 99p when you visit veganfoodandliving.com forward slash podcast